a big hello and warm welcome to the fourth episode of Math is Fun with Vivek. Math is Fun has become one of the most popular podcasts on Ghana.com, India's number one music app. This is all because of your love, affection and support. After episode 3, I have received messages from some parents about developing both sides of brains using conventional methods and non-conventional methods like Vedic math and Abacus. Some parents have also asked how can they study and teach their children Vedic mathematics. So well, today I have a pleasant surprise for you as I have with me a renowned Vedic math scholar, researcher and teacher, Mr. Kenneth Raymond Williams. Kenneth is one of the leading authorities and master trainer on Vedic mathematics. He started studying and researching Vedic mathematics 50 years back and has taught and trained thousands of teachers since then. He has written dozens of original research papers, including an acclaimed paper that provided Vedic mathematics solution of Kepler's equation and prediction of eclipses. Kenneth has also published 14 books on Vedic math, including his famous trilogy called Teacher's Journal. Kenneth holds an honors degree in astronomy besides a teacher's certificate in mathematics. He has taught mathematics in several schools and colleges of UK between 1972 and 2006. Now he devotes most of his time to train other teachers in Vedic math. Kenneth lives in beautiful Scotland and has joined us over a call. Good morning, Kenneth. Welcome to my podcast, Math is Fun with Vivek. I'm so excited to have you today as a guest on this podcast and talk to our listeners. Oh, hi, Vivek. I'm very pleased to have been invited. And uh, I have listened to your previous podcast and it's really inspiring. So thank you for inviting me to this one. Thank you very much, Kenneth. I'm very happy to know that uh, you take out some time and listen to our episode. Now, Kenneth, uh, you know, I was quite intrigued when I looked at your profile. Uh, you were born in UK. You qualified as a mathematics teacher from University of London. Uh, what attracted you in the first place towards Vedic mathematics? Well, it was certainly the book, um, the original book by Sri Bharati Krishna Tirthaji. I was given a copy of it in 1971. I used to give a, give a, a lift to a lady uh, to an evening class. And on the final occasion, after the course had ended, uh, she gave me this book and said, thank you very much. Uh, would you like this book? I don't want it. And it was the Vedic Maths book. Mm-hmm. And this book certainly <laughs> changed my life because uh, it was fascinating to me. It was very attractive the way it was written. And it was clear that whoever the author was, they knew mathematics totally. They'd really gone to the foundations and understood everything. So the methods were new and totally beautiful, interconnected and really inspiring. And uh, I was really drawn into it then. Yeah. So, Kenneth, you know, now I see a lot of material which is available online, which one can use to learn Vedic mathematics. But uh, you spoke about one book which changed your life and inspired you. I'm wondering that all those years back, there were very, very few books or any online content available, especially in English. So how did you go about sourcing the required material? And did you learn on your own or did you have any teacher or guru to train you? Well, that's a good question. But actually, there were no other books at all at that time. Tichiji's book came out in 1970. Well, it was published in 1965. And uh, as I said, I got a copy in 1971. There were no other books at all, and there was very little interest in it. Even the Indians were not interested. It wasn't years later that they realized that the Westerners 
were taking an interest in Vedic maths, did they begin to think that maybe they'd got something? <laughs> because uh, people just weren't interested in Vedic maths in India. It was There was more interest outside of India. But when I got the book, um, I went through it a couple of times, and I began to see ways of extending the methods there and other applications of the formulas that are given. And then I was asked to give a talk, and then another one, and then a course. And then somebody says, well, you better write a book. And <laughs> things just went on from there. But I didn't have anyone else to explain it or guide me in the beginning. Oh, then it must have been quite challenging for you, actually, Kenneth. And I believe that time you were also teaching normal mathematics in UK schools. And you were also spending time to learn and research on Vedic mathematics on your own without any guru or teacher. So what was the reaction of your fellow teachers at that time? I mean, did you speak to your other teachers in the school about it? And if yes, then how did they react to it? Well, yes, of course, I was so fascinated with this system. And as a maths teacher in a maths, in, in a maths department, I wanted to introduce this to, to show it to other people. And people did show us some interest. They uh, were fascinated by some of the methods. But that was all really. They just saw it as uh, a system that used a few interesting tricks. They didn't see it as a, a full, a full mathematics system. Mm. Uh, so no one was really, really interested. And of course, they're limited by the standard curriculums that the teachers have to use and examinations they have to teach towards. So they tended to see the Vedic maths as tricks and isolated tricks and methods, not as a complete math system. And sometimes I would meet someone who's a head of a maths department. I remember once in particular, there was a head of maths at a course I gave. And uh, he was so keen, he wanted to introduce it into his school. Uh, and this has happened with other people too. But there's a problem because you have to get the other teachers in your department on board and also the hierarchy, the heads of the, the head of the school and so on. So it's not just enough, even if you want to, to introduce it. You've got other hurdles too to overcome. So these are the sort of problems that we face in getting current teachers interested in Vedic mathematics. Yeah, quite understandable. Actually, even in India, you know, sometimes when I meet people, they think uh, Vedic mathematics is all about just some cool tricks, how to multiply by 11 very fast or how to subtract a number from, say, 1000 very fast. Yeah, so I can understand, you know, that must have been the reaction of even your fellow teachers at that time, unless you were able to demonstrate them that there is more to Vedic mathematics than just, you know, some cool tricks. But uh, in the last few years, uh, Vedic mathematics is becoming very popular in Western countries. And though in India, the, which is the home of the Vedic mathematics, the adoption is still very limited. Uh, could you please tell our listeners on what are the main benefits of learning Vedic mathematics, especially for children? Right. Well, basically, the Vedic system is much more fun. It works the mind the way your mind works. And so you get to do the things that you like to do, to use the, your mind the way you naturally use it. And the children find the method so easy that they can do the maths mentally, and that helps them a lot. It leads to the students being creative. Um, they want to do, they, once you show children that you will accept answers that they will construct mentally, or even new methods that they've just invented, that makes a big difference. And they start to really enjoy the mathematics. And then children who are more of a, a right side brain person that people are more artistic uh, tend to take an interest too. who children who wouldn't normally be interested in, in mathematics because they think of it as more of an analytic uh, subject 
Well, it isn't. It's, uh, it uses both sides of the brain. It helps, helps with everything. It develops flexibility as well. Uh, so it helps to raise intelligence and that helps with the confidence of the students too. So people realize that they can use their own mind and do their own thing and get results. And it's not wrong. It's right. And then the teacher uses these features of the Vedic system to make the maths teaching and really a creative activity that everyone enjoys. Yeah, that's a very good point you said, Kenneth, actually, you know, in learning mathematics, uh, sometimes uh, the fun part is missing and many children get mm. even scared of the subject, you know, the growing up and they mm. do not develop the kind of love one would expect. So if the fear is gone and it is replaced by the fun, then actually the future journey of the learning becomes that much enjoyable and it will definitely have an improvement in the outcomes also. So that's a very good mm. message, not only for children, but even for the parents that they may look at Vedic mathematics in addition to their school math to inculcate some kind of fun uh, in the journey of mathematics learning of their children. But still, you know, many people think that Vedic math is only a set of formulas uh, which is useful for faster calculations. However, I was going through the list of your research papers and I saw that you have used Vedic mathematics in many advanced areas, including calculus and astronomy. Uh, could you please tell our listeners a little bit more about the areas where Vedic mathematics could be applied? Yes, well, um, Vedic maths actually covers every area of mathematics. There's nothing that it can't be applied to. Every area of pure mathematics means astronomy, chemistry, physics, uh, and applied mathematics topics, you know, um, projectiles and so on, as well as all the areas of pure mathematics. And in fact, it must apply to every everything because the formula it's based on, these 16 sutras of the Vedic system, just describe the basic mental attributes that we all possess and we use to create the mathematics. So that we use these natural attributes to create the mathematics. It's all completely natural. And that's why the Vedic system is so powerful. It uses these 16 basic formulas. Um, that is, um, there's no limits to the applications. That's the point I'm trying to make. And I explained that in my recent paper on how the 16 formulae are structured to provide a framework for all studies. It's perfectly natural and it develops mathematics in a natural way through these 16 formulas. Yeah, that's interesting, Kenneth, you say. And I will go through your papers more in detail to see how you have used the 16 fundamental sutras in uh, astronomy or calculus kind of domains. Now, I also noticed that you have taught Vedic mathematics all around the world, from India to America. Uh, it would be great if you could share uh, one technique with our listeners, uh, which they could use in their daily lives. Yes, certainly. Um, perhaps the nicest one is uh, the second formula, which mm -hmm. is the formula all from nine in the last from ten. All from nine in the last from ten. Okay, that's his second formula of the sixteen. And it can be used in many things, for doing many things, and in particular for expect, for calculating the change that you'd expect in the shop. Okay, so for example, if you have a, if we work in dollars here, say it's a hundred dollar note, you hand over for something costing $63 and you want to know what the change to expect is, then you can use this formula very easily. All from nine in the last from 10 means that you take your 63 and you take the six from nine and the three from 10. You take the first one, the six from nine, you take the three from 10. So six from nine is three and the three from 10 is seven. You get $37. So it's very easy. If it was um, 
$47. Then you take the 4 from 9 and the 7 from 10, and you'd get $53. Or if it was dollars and cents, suppose it was $100 you gave, and the cost of the item you're buying is, say, $34.56. Okay, three, four, five, six. $34.56, you take the first three numbers, the 3, 4, 5 from 9, and the last one, the 6 from 10. So 3 from 9 is 6, 4 from 9 is 5, 5 from 9 is 4, and the 6 you take from 10 is 4. You get $65.44. So normally that would take you a long time, and you'd either have to use pen and paper or get out a calculator. Most people can't do that in their head without using this special formula. So it has many other, other applications too. And in fact, you can subtract all numbers. It doesn't have to be from, from $100 or something. It could be any amount. So that's a very useful application, of the Vedic Sutra, the second Vedic Sutra. Yeah. The beauty is you're going left to right. And that's a natural way of looking at the numbers. In practical life, we do not speak a number from right to left, but we do all our mathematics right to left. So that is counterintuitive. So I could theoretically, yeah. you know, deduct even from a billion, any number, and I will just look at the number and I will rattle out what the difference is by making all the numbers nine and making the last digit as 10. So mm. that's a very good example you shared with our listeners. Thank you very much, uh, Kenneth. Uh, moving on, uh, see, India has produced several great mathematicians like Aryabhat, Madhavacharya, Srinivasa Ramanujan, who's also my childhood hero, just to name a few. However, in the modern times, India's performance in competitive exams like uh, Mathematics Olympiad, which is the highest and the most reputed exam for mathematics, or the assessments like PISA, which you know judges the fundamental mathematical knowledge among average school-going children. In both these assessments, uh, India's performance has been very underwhelming, uh, ordinary. How can India improve the overall mathematical knowledge among its children and youth? Okay, a very good question. And clearly, India is the country that needs to adopt the Vedic mathematics. Not only is Vedic mathematics from, from India, obviously, but uh, the, the Vedic maths will help everybody. We have to introduce knowledge of the Vedic system. So the teachers have to learn it, and they have to learn it thoroughly. And not just the techniques, but also the sort of creative approach that I mentioned before to teaching maths that will help to bring these subjects to life for the children. And the parents, too, can help their children to excel by finding ways for their children to learn the Vedic system. If, if you look, there are probably all kinds of organizations where you can learn the Vedic system, but you would need to be careful not to get somebody who taught it in a rigid way. We need to have this creative approach to teaching the Vedic mathematics. But the parents also need to have a positive attitude to mathematics. Some, some parents do pass off a rather negative attitude to maths because they couldn't do it at school, but mm. they have to not do that. It's very important that the children don't catch this negativity, but have a positive attitude from the beginning. And that way, we'll be providing ground for the development of new mathematical geniuses. Actually, you made a lot of important points. So one is that uh, revival of Vedic mathematics in the normal school's curriculum with the help of uh, teachers and the parents' support. You also made another very interesting point that, uh, you know, we should not pass on our previous negativity or our own bad experiences of mathematics to our next generation. I mean, I mm. hear and I read so many jokes, you know, which typically when you speak <laughs> of the mathematics, the first reaction people say is tough. 
you know, or, or they, there are jokes that I'm fearful of mathematics. And that to me, it becomes a big problem. Uh, you know, if you're growing mm. up as a child and you see jokes or people talking about mathematics being tough, and then you carry that perception. So I think making mathematics fun in one way can be a mm. beautiful uh, experiment and a way uh, to inculcate this knowledge among the children. So we will make a note of these points. And I hope our listeners are listening to this uh, podcast today. Uh, they take something away from this particular interview and implement it into their families. So we would like to thank you for your valuable time and the knowledge which you shared with our listeners. Uh, before we sign off, uh, if you could just give us one final message to listeners in India. And our podcast actually is this is now in the United States also. So uh, we have listeners in US, Singapore, Dubai, UK. So before you sign off, uh, what kind of message would you like to give to all our listeners? Well, I would urge people to look into this new but very ancient system. Um, there's huge potential for growth and creativity for the children and also for researchers too. And I think we owe it to the future to explore this beautiful Vedic system. We make use of it and benefit from it. Yeah, thank you very much, Kenneth. We really appreciate you. your time. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was Mr. Kenneth Williams sharing his life journey and pursuit of Vedic math. It is amazing to know that Western mathematicians and teachers were taking more interest in Vedic math than our own people. I would like to know your feedback on this interview and this experiment of calling some renowned people from mathematics domain on our show. Now let us look at the puzzle asked in episode 3. The question was that if there are 1000 players in a knockout format like Wimbledon, then what is the total number of matches required in the tournament? The correct answer is 999 matches. Many people wrote back with the correct answer, but no one explained the logic behind their answer. And as far as mathematics is concerned, I believe that logic is more important than the answer itself. So in how many ways can we solve this problem? In a format like this, we have two players in final where we need one match, four in semi-finals where we have two matches, 8 in quarterfinal for 4 matches and so on. So if the total number of players is a perfect power of 2, like 64 or 128, then the total number of matches required are sum of a geometric progression with the highest term being half of the number of players. For example, if there are 64 players, then the number of matches are 1 plus 2 plus 4 plus 8 plus 16 plus 32. And the sum of this series is 63. A geometric progression like this where the last term is 2 power n, the sum is 2 power n plus 1 minus 1. So that is one method. But what if the total number of players are not a perfect power of 2, as in the case mentioned in the puzzle. In that case, let us see how many players are we short of from the perfect power of 2. In this case, we have 1000 players. And we are 24 players short of perfect power of 2, that is 1024. So 24 players will get a buy because there are no opponents for them. And we will require 24 matches less. Since the number of matches required for 1024 players are 1023, the number of matches for 1000 players will be 1023 minus 24 and that is 999. But let us look at another method, which I like to use a lot in many problems. This is to test the question on few smaller numbers 
and see if there's a pattern. So if there are two players, we need one match. If there are three players, then one of them gets a tie and other two players need a match to reach the final match and hence the total number of matches are two. Similarly, we need three matches for four players and four matches for five players. So now you see a pattern is emerging that the number of matches required are one less than the number of players. And we could say that for 1000 players, we will need 999 matches. Sometimes there can be exception to this method. And to be absolutely sure that the pattern holds for all numbers, we use a technique called induction, which I will explain some other day. But my favorite method for this question is to use the power of pure logic without using any computation. In a knockout format, to get a winner, we need all other players to lose a match and they cannot play further in the tournament after losing a match. So essentially, the number of matches required are same as the number of players that lose a match. And that number is total players minus one, as only one player does not lose a single match and becomes the eventual winner. So that was cool and simple, right? So I would advise you all to think of such novel techniques and methods while practicing mathematics. In math, the journey is more fun and destination. Now we come to the question of this week. You have two bags, 10 fresh apples and 10 rotten apples. You need to place all the fruits into the bags such that when you blindly pick one fruit out of one bag, you maximize your chance of getting a fresh apple. When picking, you will first randomly pick a bag and then randomly pick an apple out of that bag. You can arrange the apples however you like, but each apple must be in one of the bags. You can send your answers by email to me on mathisfunpodcast at gmail.com. That is M-A-T-H-I-S-F-U-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. The best answer will get a mention in my next episode. Once again, thank you for tuning in. If you like Math is Fun podcast, then subscribe it on your favorite app and share it with your friends, family, colleagues and classmates. Remember, fun is multiplied and not divided when we share it with others. I will see you again next weekend. Till then, enjoy your math and have a great week ahead. Bye-bye.